Hello, hello. What's up? Welcome back to the second episode of Listen to Less. I did come up with a title, guys. I know, I know. You're so proud of me. Drew was like, oh, maybe you should think of a better one. But honestly, the main reason that I started this podcast is because I want people to freaking listen to me. I got a lot lot to say, okay? I got a lot to say. So just listen to your good, your good old pal Les and you'll be good to go. You'll know I'll solve all your problems and we'll just become best friends. So what's not to love about that name? Because I just think it's really on brand, you know, just kidding, kind of, but I do actually, I, maybe that's kind of conceited, but I do wish more people would listen to what I have to say. (laughs) And so that's why I'm naming it. Listen to less. And it's cute and fun and flirty. And you know, that's all I, that's all I got for you. So a little update about like where I'm actually recording right now. I am, I, I'm, I'm starting this episode with irritated <sighs> marital issues. Not really, but we still live in an apartment and our apartment for a two bedroom apartment is actually pretty big. It's very spacious. Like when we first moved in, I was like, oh my God, it takes me so long to walk from one side to the other. But now that we've been in here for coming up on two years, we got married. We got so much stuff from our wedding registry. And so now I just feel like it's we're we are, I feel like there's a phrase for it. We're like outliving this space, basically. Like we have too much stuff for this space. Plus, Drew, if you don't know, my husband Drew, he's a huge gamer. So he games. And if you have a gamer, guy in your life, you know, they are loud, they scream and they do it for like hours on end. And I work from home, like completely. A lot of my work revolves around video calls, creating video content, this podcast, like it's all recording. And so when he's screaming in the background, it's so annoying. And I have had to restart like client lab reviews. I've had to remake so many videos. I've had to apologize to people on Zoom for the profanity he is saying in the background in this stupid video game. So he today is off work and he's like playing his game. And so I had to wheel my desk from the living room into our bedroom and like set up everything in here. So I'm recording in our bedroom right next to our bed. And the other issue I have with this is I used to work in our office, like in our second bedroom and he kind of, he would always like, I would work off of his gaming computer. I had my own laptop, but it was just nicer to not be sitting on the couch and sitting at our desk. And so it was always like a fight of who got to use the desk, who got to use office, me for work or him for playing games. And I kind of like gave up on that and was like, okay, we argue about this every single time you are home. So I bought like a wheeling, a, a wheelable, a move, <laughs> a movable desk with wheels. And I work in our living room now. So I don't even really go in the office. So I kind of got kicked out of there. And so we just need a house. We need a house. We need to have more rooms, more space from each other because it is too much when I am trying to work and record videos and he is screaming at his video game in the background. So that's, that's where I'm at today in my bedroom, you know, life of an entrepreneur, an online entrepreneur at that. But today in today's episode, 
I thought about doing kind of an educational topic today and talking more so about like your cycle or hormones or birth control or something like that. Cause that's what a lot of people know me for. But I was like, you know, what is like really present is I just got a lot of my own lab work back and it is not great. It's not really good. We got a lot to work on. So I'm going to talk about my own messed up lab work today, kind of like labs for hormones, things that you should get just conventional versus functional, stuff like that. And then um, in the future episodes, we'll talk more about like hormones and other stuff like that. And I do really want to get some, I have a lot of fun guests lined up that I want to have on, um, but I feel like I need to do a couple solo episodes first. I don't know why I feel like that, but that's what we're going to do. So I actually had a call, a consult call today with someone and she asked me a really good question. I'm kind of, kind of going to start with that. She asked because she's been off birth control for about 10, I almost said 10 years, 10 months. And she noticed her hormones were getting better for the last like couple of months. And then, well, I guess I should say like six months ago, like things were getting better for her. And then the last like two to three months, things have been getting worse again. So she asked me, she's like, is that normal? Like, should your hormones get better and then get worse. And to that, I was like, girl, yes, they can. It does not, you do not have to have just gotten off of birth control to develop a hormonal imbalance. And that is kind of true for me. So when I got off of birth control, oh, two and a half years ago, everything, like the first month that I got off birth control, everything was fine. And I was like, oh my Lanta, I am bouncing back so quickly. Like, this is the first like month, nothing really happened. I was like, oh my God, my hormones are bouncing back so fast. Like I can't believe it. I'm the anomaly. And then like month four to six happened. And I was like, (laughs) psych, just kidding. Shit hit the fan. Shit got real. And then maybe within like a year of being off, things were looking really good. And I was feeling really good. My hormones looked great. It's the best that they had been, et cetera, et cetera. And then fast forward to now, and after my wedding, I knew something was up. I knew something was off. I was like this. I don't feel good. I have a lot of like symptoms resurfacing that I had when I first got off of birth control. So now my hormones are kind of messed up again, but it's not because of being off of getting off of birth control. That was two and a half years ago. Like I fixed that issue, but now it's resurfacing. It's resurfacing now because the last seven, eight months of my life have been the most busy, on the go, stressful, exciting, new, like just crazy months of my life. I was, we had a total of nine weddings we were invited to this year, including our own. So we had our own wedding that we were planning out of state. If you don't know, I live in Texas or we got married in Michigan. That's where my family's from where I grew up. And so we were planning that out of, well, Drew wasn't really doing much. I was planning that out of state wedding. Then we had that out of state wedding. I was home for like basically the whole month of October. Then we did a road trip after that. But before we even got to our wedding, I was in, um, two weddings this year. Drew was in one wedding. One weekend, I had two weekends in two different states back to back. So I went to a wedding, was in that wedding, flew the next morning to our other friend's wedding that Drew was in. And then we, after that one, we drove to my parents' house to spend a week there and have like meetings with all of our vendors. 
I had my shower, my bachelorette and all of just all of these weddings. There was so much travel, so much planning. I think I was traveling at least twice a month for like, and then after our wedding, it's holidays. It was Thanksgiving. We went to Ohio. I'm about to go back to Michigan for Christmas. Like so much travel and just so much going on. Plus still trying to run a business. I hired, hired an assistant coach, just so much going on. And so with that, my health is kind of like took a decline hormones aren't looking good blood work's not looking good gut health stuff is coming back so stress can wreck your hormones it doesn't have to be that you just got off of birth control to have messed up hormones stress and just life in general can do that so i have my labs kind of pulled up in front of me and i kind of want to just go through what my labs look like i'm not going to go through every single thing but just in general like what i'm dealing with um, so my, some of the main ones, like my cholesterol levels are actually too low. And that's a funny one because most people don't ever think that you can have too low of cholesterol. We always are trying to have lower cholesterol because cholesterol's kind of been villainized. It's been demonized, right? And so in a lot of people don't know this, but the majority of the cholesterol in your body is actually created by your body in your liver. It's not coming from food. Yes, some cholesterol is coming from food, but an overwhelming amount of the cholesterol in your body is coming from your body synthesizing it in the liver. We need cholesterol. It makes up our cell membranes. It protects our nerves. It's a precursor for our steroid hormones. Steroid hormones are your sex hormones like progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, and your adrenal hormones like uh, cortisol and other uh, fight or flight hormones. We need it to create bile acids. Bile acids help us to digest fats. Uh, we need it for vitamin D and it kind of repairs your artery walls, kind of like a band-aid, right? Um, so we need cholesterol. We don't want to have too low of cholesterol, right? And when we break down cholesterol, I'm sure you've heard of like the good cholesterol, which is HDL or the quote unquote bad cholesterol, which is LDL. It's not, LDL is not bad. We need it to a certain degree, right? So HDL, all that's doing is transporting cholesterol and other nutrients from the tissues back to the liver, whereas LDL is transporting cholesterol, fat-soluble vitamins, essential fatty acids from the liver to the tissues. So it's kind of like this taxi system, right? But if we have too low of cholesterol, all of those things that I mentioned earlier can be impaired. So we don't want to have too low. Well, mine is pretty low and I got to get that up. Most likely because it's the a lot of the way that a lot of my labs look, I'm not digesting fats well, which pairs with some of my digestive symptoms. Um, I, talking about poop is not TMI when you do what I do, but to give you the details of what you could look for in yourself is if when you have a bowel movement, it you kind of like see a film on the water or like your stools float, maybe they smell really bad or they're just not formed. Those are all signs that maybe you're not digesting fat very well and you need to take a look at your gallbladder function. So your liver actually creates bile, but then your gallbladder stores that bile and you need bile to break down and emulsify the fats you eat. So when you eat a large 
fatty meal or just in general eat fat with your foods, your gallbladder kind of like squeezes like a sponge and releases all of this bile to be able to digest those fats. So it looks like I'm not digesting fat well. So because of my cholesterol levels, I'm going to look further at my gallbladder health and see if there's something there that I that is going wrong that I need to work on. Moving on beyond my cholesterol, my thyroid health is not looking fabulous. Um, my thyroid health does look like I am. I mean, I would if I were to go to a doctor right now and they looked at my labs, they would most likely tell me I am hypothyroid. Although there's a lot going on with my gut. So I know when there's a lot going on in the digestive tract, that's going to translate over into your thyroid health. So your thyroid is what kind of runs your metabolism, or it's a huge part of running your metabolism. So when your thyroid health starts to decline, or those numbers start to shift lower, like your um, free T4, free T3, usually in hypothyroid, your TSH goes up because those free T4 and free T3, um, the hormones that are actually going into, well, T3 is what's actually going into the cell and providing it energy. When that is low, that's when you're going to start to feel those thyroid symptoms, like hypothyroid symptoms where you're feeling cold all the time. Maybe you've got, um, you're losing hair, your nails are brittle, you have mid-cycle spotting, maybe you lose your period completely, or you just have uh, menstrual irregularities, there's a shift in the length of your cycle, you feel really tired in the morning, you feel those cold extremities. Those are some of the most common symptoms with hypothyroidism. I experienced almost every single one of them, and I noticed it getting worse and worse as I was like going, getting closer to my wedding. And so my numbers definitely look hypothyroid. Um, now, the fact that my cholesterol is lower is also going to impact my thyroid, and the fact that I have a lot of digestive issues, that's also going to impact your thyroid. When your thyroid starts to slow down, it's not usually a thyroid issue. Typically, it's an issue somewhere else in the body, whether it be your adrenal glands, that is a huge one, aka stress. Whenever there's issues within the body, the body is not operating optimally, you have to look at where what type of stress is on the body? Because it's always going to come down to a stressor. But when we think stressor, we usually just think of psychological stress. And that is not the only type of stress that is, you know, causing issues on your body. There's also like taking antibiotics, having a viral infection, having a bacterial infection, different issues in the gut, having parasites, having a candida overgrowth. Maybe you're working out way too often and you're not allowing yourself to rest. Maybe you're not sleeping. Maybe you're not pooping regularly. Maybe you're not eating enough food. That's a huge one. Have you been dieting for way too long? Those are all stressors and there's so many more beyond that. But you have to look at like when your thyroid is going hypothyroid, you have to look at, okay, why is it going hypothyroid and what are the stressors both uh, environmentally, mentally, and physically that are going on that I need to address because my body is telling me it's trying to slow down and conserve energy because it's been fighting a battle for too long. That's kind of how I look at hypothyroidism is like your body is 
trying to take a break because it's overwhelmed with whatever the stress has been, whatever the battle may be, and you're ignoring that the battle's going on and you need to address that battle and send in some more troops, basically. So with that being said, I did, before we jump over to kind of some other issues in my blood work, um, I did get this test done. It's called a um, HTMA test. It's a hair tissue mineral analysis test. So I have never done one of these. I don't, this isn't my first time doing this. It's my first time having a consult to understand this test. So I'm not an expert on this just yet. Like this is literally the only time I've ever done this. But from what I did learn, your hair is considered a soft tissue. So when you look at um, your results in your blood work, that your blood is kind of like the highway system of your body. So your blood is always trying to remain in homeostasis. And what that means is your blood is always trying to balance out your body kind of like a thermostat, right? You don't want it too hot. You don't want it too cold. So the thermostat is set right in the middle and it's going to either turn the heat on or turn the heat off or the air on or the air off, depending on the temperature. That's kind of like what your what homeostasis is. Your body is always trying to be in that middle balanced terrain. So getting a hair tissue test, that allowed me to see the heavy metals and the mineral makeup of my soft tissue looking through my hair. So when I did this test, I had to um, like wash my hair and then I wasn't allowed to put any products. I had to tell them what shampoo I used. And then I, if you dye your hair regularly, you have to wait like three to four weeks after your last dye to do this because they don't want any um, like product or dye in your hair to alter the makeup of it. And you take the first inch and a half of your from your scalp hair. So I had to take like a certain amount of hair throughout different parts of my head. And I mean, I had to cut off, you know, my hair is really long. I had to cut off like the whole strand um, and then just cut the first inch and a half to send to them. And when I sent it into them, the results I got were basically that all of my elements in my uh, body are pretty low. So like all my electrolytes are really low. Magnesium was actually kind of okay, but my sodium and potassium were pretty low and that's going to be a big issue for adrenal health. So your adrenals run off of, um, your electrolytes specifically, you know, sodium, potassium, and magnesium. Those are big ones that you need. And if you are running low on them, that's going to show, um, signs of quote unquote adrenal fatigue. I don't necessarily like using the word adrenal fatigue because I don't believe that your adrenals actually are getting tired, but it's more so like a boy who cried wolf situation where there's been a stressor on them for so long that they're not really responding the way that they used to, to that stressor. Um, so then you're less equipped to handle the stress at hand. And when your minerals or your electrolytes are low, within the cell. So that's another thing. Your This test is showing me at a cellular level what is actually in the cell, not just what's floating around in the blood. So there's a difference. And this means that my at a cellular level, my sodium and potassium are low and my body needs more of them. So when we have adrenal fatigue or adrenal issues, 
that's going to play a huge role in your thyroid health, right? So instead of just going and taking thyroid medication, this is me personally, I'm not your doctor. Anything I say in this episode is not to be used to treat yourself or cure yourself. This is just me talking about my own labs and what I'm doing for my personal self. Um, I'm not going to go run to the doctor and just get a thyroid medication script. I can see that if we go upstream, the first issue, which is my adrenal health. And so throughout the month of December, my goal is to reduce my psychological stress because I know I have physical stress within my gut, but I also, a lot of my stress is psychological. I put my life on TikTok. I put my life on Instagram. I've kind of come back from Instagram, but I do still put a lot of my life on TikTok. I take a lot of heat in the comments and I don't take that very well. It's, you know, got to work on that inner child, my need to be right, like, and all that, you know, there's a whole, I'm, I'm going to therapy for that, okay? But there's a lot of psychological stress in my life because of that, just running a business, trying to continue to succeed. I got a lot of stress. I got a lot of stress. So trying to get that stress lowered and then also making sure I'm adding a lot of salt to my food and my water, um, and then getting potassium. I don't like to supplement with potassium. So I will use, um, like food sources of potassium. So I've been doing adrenal cocktails in the morning. And what that is, is just, I do equal parts. I do a half cup of, um, like pure orange juice. So no sugar added to that. Like it's literally, is just the only ingredients is orange, organic oranges. Um, I get the one with the pulp in it. I'm not going to lie. And then uh, coconut water, no sugar added to that. So it's like there's sugar in these juices from the fruits, but there's they're not adding just cane sugar to it. So I do half a cup of each over ice and then I add um, salt to it and I drink that in the morning so that before I even have caffeine, before I even start my day, I am starting my day with enough elements on board to be able to go through the day and so that my adrenals have the minerals they need to, you know, work properly throughout the day. And then usually I have an element, it's called LMNT. It's an electrolyte company that I love. I do have a link for that. I can put it in the show notes um, for you to get a it's like a, if you order one box of the element packets, then you get a free variety pack to try all of the flavors. So I will put that in the show notes. Um, but I usually have one of those in the afternoon so that I'm getting enough sodium. Cause I mean, my sodium was pretty dang low. Let me tell you what. So that's enough about my adrenal health. Then if we kind of circle back to my hormones, my um my estrogen was pretty high and my progesterone was not my progesterone was still better than most of the labs that come across my desk but it wasn't as optimal as it has been in the past so the other thing with thyroid is if you have high estrogen too much estrogen can actually interfere with your thyroid health as well because high levels of estrogen signal the liver to increase the production of something called thyroid binding globulin. This protein actually binds to thyroid hormone. So it's reducing the amount of thyroid hormone that is available for your cells to use. And that hormone is just bound up to this protein, unable to be used at that time. 
and estrogen, having elevated levels of estrogen can actually cause that to happen. This is why a lot of women that are on estrogen-based birth controls also develop hypothyroidism. So there is a link there and my estrogen came back the highest that it's ever been when I've gotten labs, most likely because of my stress and the amount of alcohol I've consumed over the last like eight months now. I have not consumed alcohol like I did in my college days, but compared to last year, last year, I think I drank alcohol like once a month and it was never anything crazy. This year it's been like multiple times a month and I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've gotten pretty drunk at all of these weddings. Let's be real. So if I can get that estrogen down, most likely that will help my thyroid health as well. All right. Um, let's see what else is going on in my labs. Oh, something else is I think I still have parasites. So with blood labs, you can look and if you have certain markers that are elevated in your blood labs, and then you also have symptoms to back that up, you can probably guess that you do have a parasitic infection. If you want to go further and confirm that, you could do what's called a GI map to see if there is DNA of these parasites in your stool but they, you don't always find the GI map doesn't test for all parasites. So you could have parasites that aren't listed in that, and that test might come back negative. So this is kind of like a touch and go subject. Like, I don't know if that makes that made sense, but in my practice, I'm making sure they have at least they're present in the stool, or you have these blood markers with the presence of symptoms. If there's not symptoms of them, then I'm not going to press the issue. Um, but if you have high eosinophils and high basophils in your white blood cell counts, that can be an indicator that there is some sort of tissue inflammation or a parasitic infection. Now, my history with this and why I do believe that there is parasites for me is because one, these markers are elevated. And in the last two years, back in 2021, I got blood work in like February and those markers were not elevated. Then in March, I went to Mexico for a week. That's when I got engaged. Then I got these this blood test done in again in July and those two markers were elevated. And then they've been elevated ever since. So I think it's too... Like we know that parasites are very common in the U.S., but especially in other countries like Mexico. And I went to Mexico. Before I went to Mexico, those blood labs were fine. I went to Mexico. I came back and they were elevated. So I don't think that's a coincidence. And then the other, some of the symptoms that cue me in to know like, oh yeah, mm -hmm, I probably have parasites is I get certain places of my body like my booty hole, gets really, really, really itchy around the full moon. And parasites are a little bit more active around the full moon. And so symptoms of them can increase around the full moon. Um, symptoms being like skin issues. Um, you can have iron deficiency. If you have a lot of vitamin deficiencies, parasites are a very greedy visitor, they're going to take a lot from you. Um, and so vitamin deficiencies, having itchy like inner ears, itchy booty holes, 
those are common symptoms of parasites. And just having bloating, gut issues, undigested food, some people can have like rapid weight loss, things like that. And so I have those blood markers and it happened right after those blood markers showed up after I went to Mexico. And then I also have the symptoms around the full moon to back that up. So that's why I think that I do still have a parasite infection that I need to address as well. All right. So that's kind of the state of my blood work right now. Beyond my blood work, because I know I have a lot of digestive issues too, like my acne is better, but it's kind of, I feel like the last couple of months it's gotten worse again. There was a long period of time where my acne was like gone and my skin was glowing. The last couple of months it's like coming back and it's not looking cute. So that's, I know that's an issue. Um, my bloating, my stools are just like not good. You should be having like a snake shaped stool and it should have mild to no stench at all. Um, occasional stench is fine, but if every single time you're going to the bathroom, it is not a snake shape and it's just like mush and it smells really bad and there's food particles in it, that's a sign that there's something wrong. Probably some sort of bacterial overgrowth or like a candida, candida overgrowth and or parasites. And that pretty sums that pretty much sums that up for me. So I did do a stool test and I also did another test called an oat test or organic acids test. And what this is looking for is more so the candida. So one common symptom that I um, have been experiencing and have not been able to get it to go away is I have reoccurring yeast infections every three months. Like literally every three months I get a vaginal yeast infection to the point where I was taking the over-the-counter medicine, um, well, the medicine the doctor prescribes you um, so frequently that I developed an allergic reaction to it. And when I take it now, my lips swell up and then they peel and it hurts really bad. And it's like a whole week process for it by the time it starts to the time it goes away. And so it's in the, whenever I do, like, I can't do the, um, the stuff you get from like Rite Aid, the suppositories, they don't work because this has been going on for so long that I think my body has built up a resilience to the medications and that there's probably just so much candida. So the organic acids test will look at fungal overgrowths. It will also look at some mold, strands of mold. And a lot of people actually deal with mycotoxin toxicity or mold toxicity, and it can cause so many issues. So people that have reoccurring gut issues um, that they treat and they just keep coming back could possibly be struggling with a mold toxicity at a cellular level. And I do suspect that I have some mold toxicity based on the house I grew up in, the fact that everybody in my house always gets sick. Um, they're like, every time I go back there, I get sick. And to be honest, every time I do go back, my childhood bathroom, um, I had a bathroom in my bedroom and that shower is covered in black mold every time I go back and I have to scrub it clean because nobody it's like just sitting there not being used and I have to scrub it every time I go back. And so I just know that there's mold in that house. And there's so many different areas of our house that there was like water damage that just, my dad doesn't like to pay people to fix things. He likes to do things on his own and they've sat there unfixed since I lived there like over 10 years ago. So I know that there's mold there. I wouldn't be surprised if the root of my issues is mold toxicity. 
And this test will show us some mold markers. This is not a mycotox test, but it will show us some of those markers so that we can see if that is something that I should test for next as a root cause approach to why some of these issues keep coming back and they have not fully gone away. So that's, I'll get the results for the oat test and the stool test in January, probably after Christmas. And then from there, that is when I will go into more of like a gut healing protocol. Um, more so like blood work is great, but it doesn't really tell you root cause. It just tells you like what that root cause issue is causing elsewhere in the body. So that's why I like to do blood work. And then I also like to do root cause testing with that to see, okay, where, like we need to peel the layers of the onion back to actually get to the root cause to fix that. Cause if we don't fix that and we just supplement it for your thyroid or your cholesterol or your progesterone, but we're not figuring out why those levels are impaired in the first place, then you're never going to really solve the issue. So that, that's what I'm working with right now. That is, that's where my labs are at. That's what I'm working on. So right now in December, I'm just working on my adrenal health, reducing stress and gearing up for whatever those results come back for those root cause tests so that I can then address those and make sure that my detox pathways and my stress are in a good place to be able to take on a more intense protocol. Something that I think is really important to talk about though, because it can be really overwhelming to get all of this lab work. And I think it's important to know that you don't have to test for every little thing that goes wrong. Testing sometimes can cause what I call test anxiety. And like, for instance, I knew I was working on a gut health protocol. I was actually working on a parasite protocol back in the spring of 2022. And then as soon as I started getting really busy with my summer and all of these weddings, I stopped that protocol short. And that's why I think I still have the parasite infection. Um, cause I, I was going through so much, um, like when you go through a parasite protocol, you're going to feel kind of like crap when you go through it. And I had so many events coming up that I did not want to be going through something like that while traveling. So I ended that protocol and I told myself at the beginning of the protocol, I mean, I get follow-up labs afterwards to see what, how things look, to see how things are going. And when the time came to do that, I had so much anxiety about what if these labs aren't better and I'm not, I don't have the time this summer to focus on making them better. So me and my, the coach that I am still working with decided to not test until after the wedding because I had so much going on that I didn't have time to work on my gut health, like a, a crazy gut health protocol while I was running around so busy. I just needed to do the basics and just get through the next six months and everything going on. So we didn't test then because the the results were given, like the potential results were giving me anxiety and I wasn't in a place to handle it. So it's important to note that if you have done so much testing, like you've gotten a lot of diagnosis, you've gotten a lot of non-diagnosis of doctors telling you everything's normal, everything's normal, and you have been working on things for a long time, and you have a lot of anxiety around your health, sometimes it's better to not do the test and to just take a break and to just focus on the basics. It's probably not going to 
make things dramatically worse by taking a break for a little bit and just focusing on your mental health. Yes, testing can provide a lot of answers, but you also have to remember that stress is a big cause of those those answers, right? And so if testing is gonna cause you more stress, sometimes it's worth waiting a little bit longer and getting not testing until you're in a place mentally where you can accept those answers and work towards them. So I get asked a lot though, with when it comes to blood work especially, like what's the difference between functional labs and what your doctors are running? And there's a big difference. Most doctors are only running basic labs, especially if you're not showing a ton of symptoms. Like I just recently had um, an old client and a friend of mine reach out and she was like, telling me how it was so difficult for her to get her doctor to run a testosterone lab on her, even though she didn't necessarily have symptoms of like high or low testosterone. But in the past, she tested really low on testosterone. So she just wanted to do, do like a well check on herself to see where she was. But her doctor wouldn't run it because she didn't, she wasn't symptomatic. And this is where, you know, insurance comes in. It's not always your doctor's fault because your doctor only has like 10 minute windows with patients, right? So one, even if there is updated research on something, for example, thyroid labs, we'll talk about that in a second, they may not know about that new research because they're so booked full with clients and they barely have time to sit with a client or a patient, let alone be looking at new and upcoming research. Like it takes, I think, I think the statistic is it's an average of 15 years from the time new research comes out until it actually starts being implemented in in practice because, you know, I mean, of what I just talked about. And then there's also the conversation of insurance. If insurance isn't going to necessarily um, cover a procedure or a medication, then the doctor's probably not going to pull that lab or suggest you get that um, medication or suggest that you get that procedure if your insurance isn't going to cover it. So it's not always an issue of like doctor's aren't there being negligence. I mean, some are, but I think there's a lot of really good doctors out there. There's just, I mean, there's insurance that's causing an issue with getting labs and certain treatments. There's the fact that they may not even know about the new research. Something else to note is your doctor did not go to school for nutrition. The nurses that you're working with did not go to school for nutrition. Doctors and nurses are absolutely 100% necessary, but I have worked with so many nurses. I would say nurses make up half of my roster, and I have talked to several doctors, and it is the general consensus from all of them that they have only gone through maybe two, three, maybe four new basic, basic nutrition courses throughout their degree and their education. So they are not the ones that you should be seeking nutritional advice from. And that's why it kills me when doctors suggest that you go on like a 900 calorie diet. Or it's it's very annoying to me because I'm dealing with the candida overgrowth and the yeast infections. Every single time I get one and I'm like, okay, I just need the medication to like get rid of this while I go on this venture myself to get root cause testing of why it's happening. Every single time they tell me, oh, you just shouldn't be wearing leggings, or they tell me, oh, you need to stop eating carbs. 
just stop eating carbs indefinitely. Um, and then the candida will go away. Like, excuse me. No, that's incorrect. Yes. Lower sugar and probably taking out alcohol will help. It will absolutely help. And those things are probably going to flare a candida overgrowth. However, it's not necessary to completely eliminate carbohydrates to get rid of candida. And I also don't want to put myself through that misery, so I will not be doing that. I've also had a doctor in the past tell me that I should eat 900 calories. I've had a doctor tell a client to eat 900 calories, and she was someone that was hypothyroid, and her doctor told her to eat less. Like eating, not eating enough is one of the stressors that can further harm your thyroid health. But the doctor, like doctors don't know nutrition. They don't know but the basics. And so that's why I get really angry when they're throwing out very inaccurate, potentially harmful nutrition advice when that's not their specialty. But I think as a society, you know, we kind of hold doctors up to this like gold standard of like, they know the answer to every single problem. And that's just not the case. That's why we have dietitians. That's why we have functional nutritionists. That's why we have health coaches because Doctors did not go to school for nutrition and lifestyle or even really learn about supplementation or herbalism or anything like that. So when it comes to labs, there's a lot of clients come to me and say, oh, I got it. I've gone through it all. I've had so many labs done. And then I get their labs back that they had, they went to their doctor for, and there's like half a thyroid panel. The full thyroid panel is not there. And I mean, you you can only do so much with half of a thyroid panel, or they don't test your testosterone, or they test your progesterone, but they test your progesterone in the, like before you even ovulate when there's not much progesterone secretion happening anyways. Like you need to test progesterone about five to six days after you ovulated. So why is the doctor writing a script for progesterone and then having you test it in your follicular phase and not even when it's present in your luteal phase? That doesn't make sense. Another thing that doesn't make sense to me is that it's not regular to test insulin fasting insulin levels when only 8% of the U.S. population is metabolically fit. Let that sink in. Only 8% of the U.S. population is metabolically fit, yet we are not testing fasting insulin regularly. So many people, so many women are insulin resistant. And that is going to cause blood sugar issues, which will then cause hormone issues. It's going to cause thyroid issues. It's going to cause adrenal and stress hormone issues. But we don't regularly test insulin. Like that is crazy to me. And the other thing is like doc, your conventional labs are not going to look the same as your functional labs. For example, I'm doing, I did the GI map and I did the, oh, the organic acids test I went to a doctor, this was a couple years ago, and I told her the first time I did a GI map and she had no clue what it was. And I showed her what it was and she didn't even know what a lot of the markers are. So th there's a lot of different tests that you can do in the functional world that your conventional doctors just don't even know about because maybe like we talked about earlier, the whole the research is 
has not reached the conventional world. They have not, you know, started adopting those practices yet. I don't really know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not in a doctor's office, so I can't really say their side or their part. And I don't think we need to like just bash doctors or anything like that. Like I said, we need them. We need medication for certain circumstances. Medication does save lives. Doctors do save lives. Like I think it's necessary to have both, but just know like if you are working on an issue kind of like anything that I mentioned, it may be worth trying to see your doctor, but also getting a functional perspective because there might be things that one side is missing and vice versa. If you're seeing a functional doctor and you're not seeing any results, then maybe you need to go the conventional route and like get a different perspective as well. So whenever I look at blood labs and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not interpreting labs, but I am making suggestions based on the values that I see. And I have had training to be able to do that and to understand that. I do not interpret. I do not diagnose. I have never diagnosed anybody with anything that is out of my scope. And I will tell somebody to go to their doctor, or I will say, this is what your labs look like they could be presenting. If you want a diagnosis on this, you need to see your doctor. Another thing is Google will tell you lab values and what the diagnosis is for certain values. So it is common knowledge, even though I've had training in this, you can look on the internet for these, for the same information that I am providing clients, but I have had specific training to be able to do this. So let's talk about blood values and the ranges that are used in blood work versus the ranges that are used in functional blood work evaluations, okay? That range is telling you if you're within the green range, you are absent of X disease or you don't qualify for X medication or diagnosis, okay? But it's important to note that you can still have symptoms of X disease or X diagnosis, even if you're within their green range, you could be like, for example, most conventional doctors will not diagnose you with hypothyroidism until your TSH level is above either a four or 4.5. It depends on the lab. It depends on the doctor that you go to. You could be at a 3.9 and they will tell you, no, you're fine. You don't have hypothyroidism. But is they're gonna wait until the next time you come back and then you have a 4.1 or 4.0 and they're like, oh yes, now you have it. Like they kind of look at it in black and white, at least that's my experience and my client's experience that they tell me about. It's like, oh, if you're before this number, you're fine. If you're after this number, you have a disease, right? You, you will still have very much have hypothyroid symptoms at a 3.9 TSH, right? So why are we not taking that into account and helping you get that TSH down and fix your thyroid health before you cross the threshold to where they're like, oh yeah, you have hypothyroidism. Like you're so close to that clinical diagnosis. How about we help you instead of just waiting for you to have that diagnosis, right? So that's what functional medicine does. That's what functional lab work looks at is, okay, I want your TSH to be below a two, not a four. So if you're teetering a two, a 2.5, a three, we need to look deeper so that we can help your thyroid health before you get to a 3.9 
or a four to where you get that diagnosis, right? So functional lab ranges are much more narrow. So that's the difference in labs. And I kind of look at the conventional range and then I plug it into the functional ranges that I've been given through several of my mentors. And I'm like, okay, this is where your lab actually looks on the functional scale. And this is probably why you're having these symptoms. So we talked a lot today about labs, the difference between you know, different types of testing, what labs could mean, the different types of conventional versus functional lab testing. And like I said, I said it multiple times, but I always want to cover my butt when I talk about labs and testing and anything like that. I am not a doctor. Nothing I say or do in my practice is to replace that of medical advice from your doctor. This is just to open your eyes to a functional realm, a functional way of looking at things, more so a preventative measure versus a reactive measure to your health. So once again, I have no clue what we're going to talk about next week, but I can assure you it'll be just as fun and educational as this week. So I hope you learned something today. Please share this with a friend if you think they would like it too, and come back next week for another fun episode. Toodles!